a series where we've been looking at the liturgy of the church. Why do we do what we do? Why do we have those things in the menu of our bulletin? Why do we have corporate prayer? Why do we have shepherd's prayer? Why do we have bidding prayer? I asked uh, this morning uh, John Hildreth how he learned to play basketball. And he said, well, I learned to play basketball by playing basketball with others. I asked, could you learn it from a book? And he said, well, you could learn the rules and maybe even learn plays, but you couldn't learn how to play as a team. Prayer is a team sport. And we learn, as we do with other elements of our liturgy, where we are rehearsing in worship. It's for real, but we're rehearsing or worshiping together, and then that transfers, our hearts are lying, it transfers to our everyday worship, our private worship. And so prayer is a team sport that equips us when we pray together, be it in the congregation of worship or in our community groups or one-on-one in discipleship, men's groups, women's groups, other Christians. When we pray together, that's praying as a team and that shapes our heart. And it shapes our prayer. I well remember how I learned how to pray. I became a Christian at the Citadel. And I had observed and overheard in one of the campus ministries that I was attending while not a Christian. I saw them pray. And I remember the first time I ever prayed in my room in the barracks. I got down on my knees Because I had a good news for modern man. And a good news for modern man was a modern contemporary translation. It had stick figures in it. And I was, I heard that to be a Christian, you need to read your Bible. And so I'm reading the owner's manual. I start with the introduction, table of contents. It was a New Testament, Gospel of Matthew. I got to Matthew 6, which is the Lord's Prayer. And there was a picture of a stick figure kneeling beside a cot. And I said, oh, that kind of looks like me, except he doesn't have a uniform. And I'm like, literally, with instructions, I'm like, okay, so this is how you pray. I've got the Lord's Prayer. I've got a cot. And so I kneel. I did everything that the stick figure did. And then I went... And join the navigators for a super early O Dark 30 prayer in the chapel. And they sat on a pew in the back. And I just happened to be sitting in the first seat. And they looked down. They said, okay, we're going to pray. They they saw that I was a newbie. And they said, we're going to bow our heads. And we're going to pray. You start us and the guy on the end will finish us. Here's what I prayed. God, I am just glad to be here. That's it. That's all I knew to pray. 
I was just thankful that God had taken me from a fellowship of darkness and put me in a fellowship of light. That He had taken me from one group and put me with a new group. And I was just glad to be even sharing a pew with these wonderful men who really knew how to pray. pray. But they didn't condemn me. But I listened. I listened to them pray. And I listened to them confess. And I listened to them with all honesty, align their hearts. Lord, I've had a tough week. Lord, I've drifted from you. Lord, there's mission creep again in my walk with you. I listen to those men align their hearts, and I listen to those men praise God, and I listen to them many times, because the navigators know Scripture memory like nobody's business. Many of them, their prayers would just be reciting Scripture. And it was an awesome experience. And from that, praying with a group, I was able to see my own prayers both corrected and, and grow so that I felt more confident and, and literally freed in my prayers. This morning, we want to look at the subject of prayer. Now, every January, we dedicate the sermons. There's a sermon series every January on prayer. So this is not going to be an exhaustive uh, a sermon on prayer. It can't be. Out of 500 passages of Scripture that I considered this week, I chose this one. And it's really only two verses that we'll primarily focus on. Really, one verse. The first verse. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. But I chose this for our focus, because Paul is calling, this is a letter to the church in Colossae. And they would have been very similar in number and shape and dynamic to us. This was not a Jewish crowd very familiar with prayer. These were Gentiles who had always seen God at best as very distant or very scary. That he would answer prayers only if you did all the right offerings and sacrifice and he would never listen to you never listen to you if you didn't very indifferent and so paul is coming to them as a church so we tend in western society to read all of scriptures individually but prayer is a corporate act in the scriptures, and we're going to look at them in just a moment. We're going to do a Bible study, and we're going to, to look at the number of occurrences where we are to continue steadfastly in prayer. So don't read this just individually. This is for the church. So two rivers continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So what does that look like? What does that look like in our times together? Well, Two Rivers includes it in our bulletin where we have the prayer of invocation, we have the prayer of confession, we have a shepherd's prayer, or sometimes we use the model of the Lord's Prayer for you to pray or forbidding prayer. I will pray again to set aside, to, to conclude the, the, the sermon, that it might root, take root in our heart, and then to prepare our hearts for the supper. And then when I offer the benediction, that's actually 
a prayer. But that's where God is now speaking to us and he's blessing his people. So prayer is not just our reciting words into the air individually, but it's actually a conversation. A conversation even that the congregation is able to have with God, such that the congregation prays together and the congregation listens and waits for an answer. And we've experienced it many times at Two Rivers where I don't hear the answer to a congregational prayer, but one of you does. And it's equally valid because you're a part of the body. Let's dig in this morning and just in the time that remains, let's look at these three things. I want to show you what prayer is. I want to show you what prayer does. And then finally, I want to show you with suggestions how we should pray. Just ponder this for a moment. God wants us to pray to Him. In fact, He commands it. Pray to me. Paul says here, continue steadfastly in prayer. That is not a suggestion. It's not a technique to be a better Christian. It's a command. It's actually a requirement. It's a law. Now, how do you see that command? If you see this command as a very strict God who's saying it's a command, don't, you know, keep the rules and don't break the rules, I think you're, it's going to shape and it's going to influence how you pray. And I dare say how often you pray. Now, I want to be very careful. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. But I can tell you, I have been scared off by serving in churches before where I will huddle with other ministers to pray. And the ministers are notorious for this. Um, and someone will be praying and it will be like, Oh, God! And I mean, even their voice inflection changes. And it's just so... It, it, it's, it, it's actually very scary in the sense that they begin to certainly praise God and talk about all of His characters... And then they will begin to bring other people into it as far as what they want God to do to other people. But there's very little intimacy. And if we don't see it as a conversation with a God who is a father commanding us, we probably won't feel very safe with him. We won't make ourselves vulnerable. We won't align our hearts and see ourselves as we really should. We'll probably try to be very pious, very religious, And like the Pharisee in the story that Jesus told will say, I'm so glad I'm not like them. I'm so glad for my church and that I'm able to attend every Sunday and I do all these things for the church because I know that goes in my credit account. Instead of like the sinner, the tax collector who said, Lord, just have mercy on me. I'm so unworthy, but I'm here. And you're a father. Does that make sense? It's a command But it's a command to love. I am privileged to do, as a minister, I am privileged to officiate at a number of weddings. And there's a portion in the wedding called the wedding vows. And it's actually a command. And you're asking people, will you love, honor, cherish, and respect this person? Will you stay with them even if it goes badly? Will you be with them in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow? 
And you're asking them all these things. And yet, I've never had a couple, be it in the rehearsal or on the day of the wedding, say, now hang on a minute, that sounds awful strict. Because they realize that, number one, it's going to be reciprocated from the other party to them. That they're going to be loved. They're going to be cherished. They're going to have someone that's steadfastly standing by them. And so they also, number two, know that they are so madly in love with this person that this is the one person that they can continue steadfast in conversations with. Continue steadfast in a relationship of intimacy with. So how do you see the command to pray? Does it seem overly strict? Now, before I leave this, let me encourage you to um, note that just as prayer is a command and a conversation, the Westminster Catechism, question number 98, the answer is this. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of His Spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Many times we use the acronym ACTS and that's what we employed in bidding prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Acts. But the Westminster Confession frames it by saying, offering up our desires unto God. In other words, because it's a conversation that God wants to have with us. That's why we need to ponder that. God's commanding it because he's, it's not a rule. It's... it's He's in relationship with us. He wants to talk to us. He wants us to open up our dreams and our fears, our concerns. And, and that's why He can command us, do not fear, do not worry, do not be anxious. Tell me about it. So, prayer is a conversation that is commanded, but it's an intimate conversation with a very loving Father who also speaks in that. Some of you are going to need to start afresh and anew in your prayer life. And let me encourage you to start, if you're starting anew in your prayer life, so that you pray every day. The Jew, the, uh, a Muslim prays five times a day toward Mecca. Jewish people pray three times a day. David recommends we find that Daniel prayed three times a day. David prayed morning and evening. That's twice a day. But whether whatever schedule you start with, don't be afraid to start with a sense of duty first. Because we move in all discipleship from duty to a discipline, a habit, and then finally it becomes a delight. I love to run. I can't run as much as I used to anymore because of just age. But I can tell you that it, running started with me years ago as a duty. And then it became a discipline. i got to do this. And then it led to delight. But don't let a sense of duty put you off because it will lead to delight. Now, if you got your Bible either on a smartphone or you've got this thing, this uh, this is called a Bible. Very handy item to have. 
I want you to look at some scripture with me and uh, bear with me. I budgeted a time for this. Acts chapter 1, verse, I don't have these up on slide. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Um, I think that would have been a prayer, uh, a fantastic worship service, a fantastic uh, uh, prayer meeting. But the word that they use here is the very same word that he uses in Colossians 4. Devoting themselves. That's the word for steadfast. You're devoted. I'm wed to this. I'm, I'm, I'm bound to this. Devoted to it. So notice that he says they were that. Okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted, there's that word again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We take this so seriously here at Two Rivers that we say we're devoted to God's Word. That's the apostles' teaching. And God's Word communicated, be it through Sunday school or the sermon, our community groups. We're, we're committed to fellowship. That's community. We're, community. we're committed to the breaking of bread. They did this every week, every Sunday that they met. So we celebrate the table every Sunday that we meet. To the prayers. So they included, with devotion, praying among themselves in their gatherings, in their worship service. Okay, next, uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now here are the elders saying we've gotten so busy that we need to have deacons to help with the physical needs of this growing community of believers so that we can keep to the priority of prayer and the teaching of God's Word. He, Paul, or the writer of Luke, I mean Acts here, is saying that the early church saw those two as which wing of the airplane is the most important? They're both important. You can't fly without them. So it was God's word, but you had to have prayer. And he was saying, we're losing our devotion because of all these distractions, important as they are. Okay, Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Again, continue steadfast in prayer. Here, he's saying again, be constant. What's the, what's the opposite of constant? Inconstant or inconsistent. What's your prayer life like? Now look, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that he never wrote or preached a series on prayer. Why? He felt so personally inadequate. And this is a giant. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Tim Keller wrote a book, which is, we will have it on our, we'll have it out on the information table come January, and we'll walk through many of the articles in his book. But Tim Keller humbly starts his book on prayer by saying his wife, Kathy Keller, met with him and said, we don't pray. And we are not 
going to make it unless we begin to pray together. We're not, and he agreed. Wow, how humbling. How humbling to start a book on prayer teaching others by saying, man, my own marriage was on the ropes and my wife recognized that we needed intimacy of God. We needed that third strand in our, our cord to, to keep us together. So this message is not in any way meant to make you feel guilty because I struggle as well. But it's to re-engage your heart for the fight. One last passage, Ephesians 6, verse 18. Praying at all times. Now he's just gone through the armor. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. Keep alert with perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. And again, these words are prayer, are, are words to the church. But they can be and should be as disciples and followers of Christ who want to grow more and more to be the men and women and young people and children that God is designing us to be. They should be practiced individually. But we learn that stick to that steadfastness. We learn how to devote ourselves in the congregation, in our groups, whenever we pray with another person. They model it. They, they help us. Because what is prayer doing? What does prayer do? Prayer reorients your view of yourself and God. I read a, um, an article recently by uh, David Brooks, uh, an editorial uh, column. And David Brooks addressed something called, it's a new term, it's called captology. Captology. And captology is where our everybody has a smartphone. We have these devices. And what is occurring is that we have a large network and interaction with people via, via technology, but we are having fewer and fewer physically intimate interactions with people. So we can say, wow, look at all the friends that I have on Facebook. But how many times are we actually talking to them face-to-face in the course of the week or the month? And what is happening is because of the applications that we have, where we have to touch them or we have to brush them, that is creating a dopamine effect in the sense of a habit is beginning to be formed. So in other words, to be in contact and to have intimacy with someone else, I need to touch the app. I need to check it. And what is happening is we're finding captology is taking over. Technology is capturing us so that on average, every four and a half minutes, we got to check. Why? Because we're either bored or we're anxious or we're fearful because it gives us something. So when we read about other people, and why is it on Facebook that people are always going to the neatest places and doing the funnest things and 
They don't quite have the life that I do. But that, it does give us a little rush or a bump to say, oh, wow, they're at Disney World. And look, they've got video. And look at all this kind of stuff. And we go and we see these things and we keep up with the latest. And it's beginning to capture our heart. And it gives us a little burst, but then it leaves us wanting. God says, that's what prayer is to do for you. It reorients you from finding, finding these bursts to meet your desires or your wants, even in human relationships. You're made for that, but prayer immediately, without even having to touch it with your finger, prayer immediately connects you to God. And it connects you in two ways in the sense that when you connect with God in prayer, the real you meets with the real God. You know why? I, 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 let me confess something with Wendy here. And no, I'm not going to confess to anything like that. So uh, I want to confess to you that we struggle in our marriage to pray together. And we've tried all sorts of ways to pray together as a couple. Um, we've tried kneeling beside the bed. We've tried to uh, pray before we go into the bedroom. We've tried different ways to pray. But it's always been a struggle. But one of the reasons, one of the reasons I feel that prayer is a hardship or a challenge for me because I initiate the prayer. As I'm... I have taken the responsibility to encourage her and to, and to watch over my family and to pray for my family. But when it comes to praying with my mate, I don't, I'm not always excited about it because it's so doggone humbling. Because the real me has to show up in prayer. I can't be phony baloney. I'm not able in me. I'm not able to fake it. And particularly with my wife who knows me. I can't, in other words, do, Oh God, my helpmate and I come to thee tonight. So grateful that we're not like other men. You know, no, I can't pull it off. I'm more like, God, here I am again. And the real me shows up. But that's what God loves. Prayer, what it does is it reorients me to the real me, because I can promise you, if the fake you shows up in prayer, not only will you have a very weak prayer life, it's going to be very effective. Because God wants to talk to the real you. He doesn't want to talk to the fake you. Just go ahead and knock the fake you out of the picture. And if you feel like you can't be in a group setting, if you feel like in your community group or in discipleship meetings, in your spiritual friendships or worship, that you can't be the real you, you can't be honest because it's going to be embarrassing and you don't feel safe, then do it silently. But don't fake it. You're not going to like that. And God's going to be saying, don't you trust me? I want the real you. So he wants us to reorient ourselves. But then also he wants us to reorient ourselves to him. Psalm 109, verses 3 and 4. Well, let me. this is an example this is an example of how it reorients us. Uh, they encircle me with words of hate. They attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me. And so what I do is I torch their house and I spray paint their cart. No. 
I give myself to prayer. And literally, this is where some of our Bibles say, but I am a man of prayer. But literally what it means is, I am prayer. In other words, prayer is so much a part of me, it is me. It's not just, it's a constant. I'm devoted steadfastly to this. I'm ever having this conversation. And notice his reaction to people that show him no love. In fact, they come after him and they accuse him. It has transformed him and realigned him so that he is able to pray for them. The Lord's Prayer has an addendum to it in Matthew 6 where it says actually that we are to forgive our debtors as we forgive others. And then the addendum is because if we don't forgive others, how can we expect to be forgiven? And it's prayer that changes us. It changes our orientation. It transforms us as a community. But also prayer is, it reorients us to the real God. Now let's God be God. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Hold on to that thought. In other words... On your response to my answers to your prayers is thanksgiving to me. Raising your voice to me. Looking to me and saying, God, you're looking to me. And then me delivering you brings me glory. And we see that here in Colossians. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. With thanksgiving. Another passage. John chapter 14. Classic passage on prayer. I had a uh, lady in a previous congregation. Who gave me. It was just a little cross. To sit on my desk. And it had one word on it. Ask. And I knew it was from this text. To ask him. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So, Paul is asking here in verse 3, he's asking that this church pray together. And he's also saying, though he's not there in the congregation, he's saying, I'm asking that you join your church's prayer with my fellowship's prayer pray also for us that god may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of christ on which i am in prison in other words people were going to prison they were going to jail because they were preaching the word and he said i want you to pray two things i want you to pray that god will continue to open a door that against persecution and hostility, that we may speak. And I want you to pray, secondly, that the people we speak to will get this thing called the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of Christ, by the way, the mystery of the gospel is this. We are sinners. He's a Savior. When we come to Him and look to Him, He delivers us, God delivers us through Christ, such that we give Him our old robes, we take His and that's a mystery. We don't deserve it. God gets nothing out of the deal except us. 
and that's a mystery. And Paul's saying, that ain't going to happen unless God answers prayer. And we're not going to have a relationship with other people unless God answers prayer. But that's what he's asking. He's saying, only God can do it. But we trust and we're looking with all thankfulness to God to do that. Let me put it all together before I leave this point. Giving glory to God is the reason that you exist. And the, one of the primary ways, if not some authors that I read said, it's the primary way. John Piper says it's the primary way that you give glory to God is when you pray. When you connect the dots, you come to God as His humble child you look to Him as the Father to provide and to bless. And you give Him thanks for all that He's done and all He's promised to do and all He will yet do. And then you're able to walk in confidence that God has heard you and can be trusted with your prayers. He says, that gives glory to God. God is able to say throughout the heavens, look at them. They are my people. They speak to me. They look to me. And looking to me with their desires, their needs, their fears, their wants, their dreams, brings me glory. I'm a proud papa. That's what prayer does. How do we pray? Paul gives one word, and it's watchful. Watchful. This word is a word that means be watchful. I mean, it's really interesting. I always like when people define a word by using the word. Define watchfulness. Well, you're watchful. You, you watch. You're like a watchman. You stay awake. You're on mission. You're intentional. You don't give in to distractions. Paul knows that the gravity of both our life and even our heart is such that we will go to sleep in prayer, just like those disciples in the garden. That we'll get lazy. We'll get sleepy. We will not make it a priority. But he says, be watchful. And we had all of those scriptures where it talked about the church was they were continuing to be steadfast. They were devoted. It was scheduled. It was a discipline. They wouldn't let it go. They wouldn't minimize it. So that's how we pray. We start by being watchful. Now, this morning, I want to leave you with three considerations. We have the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, as a great model for prayer. It's a standalone prayer. And you can begin anew by including this with your devotions each day by simply praying the Lord's Prayer. Martin Luther used the Lord's Prayer as a guide for his barber. His barber, and you know, Martin Luther had that kind of funny haircut initially as a monk, and then he let it grow out and it looked kind of funny. So his bar, he must have given his barber fits. 
But Martin Luther was asked by his barber, you know, so Martin, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. I'm fighting the real battles with this Reformation thing, and I've even got my followers calling themselves Lutherans. How about that? Ha, ha, yeah. Well, you know, Martin, you've got this reputation of praying three hours a day. How do you, how do, you do that? And so he wrote, and you can Google this and download it. He wrote a book, a little short piece on how to pray. You know, a letter to my barber. And he used the Lord's Prayer. And as we often do, he broke it up and he said, pray each line. And you can begin with our Father who art in heaven. That's humbly approaching him and saying, you are my Father by grace. You have adopted me through Christ. Secondly, we move on. Hallowed be thy name. That's the respect. You're holy. I'm not. You're holier than every other God. You're set apart. You're different. You're unique. And then finally, we get into the helplessness that we have as children because we are not God. We're crummy gods. A helplessness that's tempered with confidence. I'm helpless because I'm not the father, but I'm confident because I'm a child. That we can say both, Thy will be done in glad surrender, but because we're praying in Jesus' name, we can trust that he would hear. Three considerations. Again, I, can you imagine Can you imagine what two rivers is going to be like if we really jumpstart our prayers? Now here's... Here's going to be the tale. Here's what the elders and the shepherds of the congregation are going to look for. What is our prayer life as a congregation like together? How do we pray together? One of my mentors, one of my mentors, uh, Jack Miller, said about prayer and praying with others. He said, I love to pray with others because I can always tell it's a good measure of a man or woman's understanding of both themselves and God. And so when we pray together, we have this growing sense, not of intimidating and outpraying one another, but we have this growing sense of where we are and our understanding of God and where we are and where we need to grow and how we're growing. And so we, if you catch a vision for this, and if you're encouraged today to pray again, let me give you three Simple suggestions. Number one, simply start. Just start. Make it a small step. Just simply start. Pray as you can. Don't pray as you can't. Don't try to pray like me. You can learn from others, certainly. But pray as you can. Don't pray as you can't. And don't be afraid. It may be a very short prayer. It may be, I mean, bidding prayer is wonderful. It may be just words. Okay? I do encourage you to pray aloud. Even if you're, you know, if you're praying with a group, I encourage that. I also encourage you to pray aloud if you're by yourself. It helps you to be watchful and not go to sleep. Um, number two, consider priming the pump with Scripture. Um, we have taken... Uh, uh, it was 
John Hildreth in the Shepherd's Prayer, when he began praying as a, as a shepherd that began to incorporate a reading of Scripture before we as a congregation uh, are led in prayer. We're encouraged to, if you, have an, if you look at your everyday worship, your quiet time, your devotions, it's very good to begin with this simple prayer. Lord, I've got the Bible, whatever mechanism you're using, open in front of me. I've got something that I'm getting ready to read. Just open my eyes and open my ears that I might hear you. That's it. Then read, which is where we're reading. That's where God's word, which is alive, is speaking to us. And then you're ready to think and meditate, and now you're ready to pray. But consider the Psalms particularly. The Psalms are great primers as you begin to pray. And sometimes you can pray simply the Scripture. You can find a Psalm, and that would be your prayer. And then lastly, do pray with others. Where in the course of your week do you find yourself praying with others? And some of you may say, well, it's not captology, it's just my time, and I don't really have, I'm really not meeting with others, you know, or I'm out of a community group right now, or I'm not discipling anyone or being discipled, I'm not really in any group. Let me consider this. In your emails to Christian friends, pray for them. Tell them you're praying for them. Write it out instead of simply just saying, I'm praying for you, here's what I pray, and then type it in. See if they'll send you back a prayer. I would rather you meet with them face to face or even pray with them over the phone. But look in the course of your week for opportunities and take them to pray with others. All right, Two Rivers. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we must look like fools to people right now who know nothing about your ways and about you being alive and real. We bow our heads. We speak into the air. We talk out loud. What is all that about? Father, you're real. You're our Father. You hear us. Why would we not? Why would we not speak? And like children, speak about whatever's on our mind. That interests you. And also speak about how proud, how beautiful, how strong a God you are to us. Make our boast and brag about you being our Father. So we come to you now in this prayer as a thankful people. Holy Spirit, would you just continue to show us the privilege, but also the joy and delight of speaking with God and that through the way being made possible through Christ. And we ask that. In Jesus' mighty name, even as we ask that you set apart this bread and this cup for your holy use, in Christ's name, amen.